Welcome to Time for Go to Bed with Suze. Yes. Hello. And Kenny Pick. These are, um, it's Thursday. We're doing this show and Kenny Pick is doing his show on Friday. His show is It Came From Cleveland. But that isn't this show. This is Time for Go to Bed. And we're really glad that everybody's here. Our new intro music is, uh, Gymnopedie number one by Eric Satie, and he yeah. was a. Uh, this is royalty free, provided by YouTube. So we're very excited about that. And he's a Dadaist, so. We're Worked with Pablo Picasso on a really obnoxious uh, ballet just to mess with um, critics. Yes. We too like to mess with critics. Also, some trolls. Yeah. We get well, them. I don't think we've had a critic or a troll really. Well, we've had plenty of critics. But well, aren't we the... our own worst critics? <laughs> this is our premiere episode. This is episode number one. So yeah. This is exciting. That's our maiden voyage. And it's kind of appropriate that we're launching the show today because uh, when we finished up the last iteration of this program, uh, we did the wonderful Land of Oz, the LibriVox recordings. And uh, this, I believe today, or yesterday, today, or tomorrow, is the birthday of L. Frank Baum. And... We have something special we're going to start doing here, and we're going to start doing Ozma of Oz on this show. Um, yes, yet. that's right. Book number three in the, the, the long series of books written by L. Frank Baum. The first being The Wizard of Oz. The second being The Marvelous Land of Oz. And now we're in... Going into a journey into Ozma of Oz. Yes, so, and this is... There are uh, several books in this series. I have to remind people, it's not just the movie. Not just the movie. But uh, L. Frank Baum was born on May 15th, 1856. So his birthday is uh, this Saturday. But... Oh, um, okay. Oh, my Lord. I, I just had to do a quick Google search to see. Um, and... Um, um, you know, Google says people ask. Says no, they do. Yeah, and and uh, one of them, uh, one of the frequently asked questions is L uh, is L Frank Baum dead? Yeah, yeah, he might be. No, he's uh, he's one hundred and seventy two now. <laughs> yeah, Lord. I think it was um in the 
20... It was 1916 19, or 1917. 1919 is when he 1919 is when he passed away. Yeah. Um yeah. so that was uh 102 years ago. So yeah, he'd be about 146 if he was still alive today. So mm-hmm. people not so smart. But yeah, so uh but w- w- our goal for this show is to kind of to continue uh, upon what we were doing and expand a little bit um we're going to talk about uh books and movies that are you know um you know have dreamlike qualities uh you know and and you know try and be soothing but you know there's going to be some stuff that's a little weird um so i think we should start with our the movie we wanted to talk about tonight mm-hmm. before we get to uh i think we'll save the Ozma of oz for the end of the show okay sounds great to me so the the movie we're talking about, Susan, uh, it's very special to both of us for one particular reason, uh, but it's a really great film. Why don't you tell everybody what it is, and uh, and I'll run the trailer when you're ready. Okay, uh, the movie's called Tideland. It is by Terry Gilliam, Gilliam, who is one of your favorite directors. Directed my uh, favorite is- film, Brazil, which also. Uh, coincidentally yeah. enough, it has a lot of dream sequences. It does, and that's a it's a really good movie. Now you should you should watch it. Now, if you haven't watched Tideland, it's it's not it's it's by a major theater and it had a major production, but it's not a a list movie, uh, you know, by any means. It's just a great movie, but it is a little disturbing, you know. Yeah. So if you don't mind, it is a little nightmarish yeah. in some ways. It is, it is. So, but it's it's kind of escaping the nightmare into a dream is how I kind of explained it. But yeah, here, let's uh, play yeah, the trailer real quick. Okay. It's me, Jelaza Rose. I'm just as excited as anything. Because <laughs> today... We're all going on a great trip! Woo! Home at last! Needs a little work. Damn! Trade to sleep now. Ready, Mystique? Born ready. Now for daddy's vacation. It's clear. Jeliza Rose? Good, because this could get pretty dangerous. I want to look in. What are you doing? I think she could be my new friend. She invited me into their little stone house. It was such a wonderful time. Still on vacation, Dad. I got a secret. What is it? The end of the world. Dynamite! It's not just a dream! Love, this is where you belong. It's the edge of the world. If I shut my eyes, 
Maybe I'll wait inside your tree. There you go. There's a little taste of what the movie's uh, about. But um, that made it all as clear as mud. Yeah, um, really. Um, but uh, Terry Gilliam actually um, he, he did like a one minute warning before the film. Uh, he appeared as himself on screen in black yeah. and white, and um, and it was uh, it, 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 I, so let, let's play that and then we'll talk about what the movie's about a little bit okay. more. And we're not going to spoil the whole film. Most of our clips from the movie are from the the first half of of the the film. So all the real big um, setup happens in about the first thirty minutes. So if you don't want it to, to be spoiled, um, you know you might want to. Not listen to all the clips, but, um, you know, we're not ruining the whole movie for sure. But yeah, this is what Terry Gilliam had to say about the film. Hello, I'm Terry Gilliam, and I have a confession to make. Many of you are not going to like this film. Many of you, luckily, are going to love it. And then there are many of you who aren't going to know what to think when the film finishes. But hopefully you'll be thinking. I should explain. This film is seen through the eyes of a child. If it's shocking, it's because it's innocent. So I suggest you try to forget everything you've learned as an adult, the things that limit your view of the world, your fears, your prejudices, your preconceptions. Try to rediscover what it was like to be a child with a sense of wonder and innocence, and don't forget to laugh. Remember, children are strong. They're resilient. They're designed to survive. When you drop them, they tend to bounce. I was 64 years old when I made this film. I think I finally discovered the child within me. It turned out to be a little girl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. He said thank you three times. I forgot about that. Weird. Yeah. So. But yeah. The the film starts off. Jeff Bridges is um, one of the stars along with Jennifer Tilly. Who I adore, but although yeah, she looks, yeah, she was in Smallville, right? Jennifer Tilly. Mm-hmm. Who played the mom? Oh I, no! No, no the, the the little girl was in Smallville. Yeah, the little girl. She, later on, she showed up in Smallville and uh, Supernatural, actually, in 2019. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, she's a Canadian actress, so not surprising because those were all Canadian productions. I believe this film was all shot in Canada yeah. as well. Um. And, um, but Jennifer Tilly plays the mother and boy, is she a wreck. But the, the film starts out essentially with Jeff Bridges and he's a rock and roller and he's playing in some dingy club. Kind of looks, he kind of dressed like Lemmy from Motorhead is what he reminded me of. <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing a pretty terrible song. Um, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. It's it, pseudo industrial, um, blues rock or something it was did you bad. like his guitar guitar um solo or no it, it was okay i mean the music was just not my cup of tea um you know i mean i don't know if that was really him playing or not i i don't i don't know if it was um it's kind of being well no i'm just saying like for the music it was okay um well it, yeah he, he's kind of like being really rock and roll pretentious he's dressed as a yeah 
big cowboy with lots of leather, and then he's got um the songs is says when Vincent Van Gogh, you went know, went to Hollywood or something. So, yeah, went to Hollywood and all that. So. Yeah, it was silly. Um, and a second Van Gogh reference tonight, everyone. Um, and uh, so you know, afterwards uh, he he goes back to his apartment where his girlfriend, wife, whatever, we don't I don't think it's ever established, but the mother of his his daughter, Jeliza Rose, who by the way, that's how we we picked that name for our little black uh fluffy cat, Jeliza Rose. Yeah. And uh or J-Ro for short. And um uh but yeah, the the main character Jeliza Rose, uh her her father's Jeff Bridges, Jennifer Tilly's the mom. And um, Jeff Bridges is, is talking about going to Yutland, uh, you know, and um, over in, no, I don't know, where, where is that? Uh, it's where Bjork is from or whatever, right? Iceland or something like that? Would it be Iceland or would it be the Netherlands or something from along the those map? Lines. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so, but he keeps talking about this fantasy trip that they're going to take. And obviously, they kind of live in squalor and the, the real. The real ugly thing happens um, in the beginning of the movie where um, we see Jeliza Rose doing a task for her father. Would you like to talk about what that task is, Susan? Yeah, basically she's helping her dad go on vacation, which is what he calls it. But what she's doing is she's loading up his heroin needle and um, helping him shoot up. Yeah, shoot up, but he's, yeah, so she loads it with with heroin, and then he shoots up, and then, um... And she just she acts like it's nothing. put his arm up, so, yeah. you know, it doesn't, he doesn't bleed out, and he's already got the elastic and all that, but just not something you would normally see a child do in a movie. Yeah. So it's kind of disturbing, but at the same time... You know, you had that disclaimer at the beginning from Terry Gilliam mm -hmm. that, so he, you know, she's a daddy's girl and she just loves her daddy and she's helping him in any way yeah. he wants her to. And she just does it so matter-of-factly without, you know, fussing or anything. And she does it, it's like a nurse, you know, she's like a nurse almost, um, just gets to the business and, uh, you know, pops the needle out, holds it in her teeth, uh, you know. T takes the uh, tie off his arm and folds his arm up and, you know. Um, Make sure he doesn't burn down the house with a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, puts a cigarette in the ashtray. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, well, and they live in an apartment building. It's it's evident from uh, the audio and stuff you hear that they're in the city at this point somewhere. Yeah. And, um, but the, um, the mom, played by Jennifer Tilly, is a hot mess. Yeah. Um, it, she's just foul, and it was uh, she. She tells uh, Jeliza Rose at one point, "Come upstairs and do my legs." Yeah, which I think is you know I guess because she shoots up. She used to shoot up in her legs, and her legs get really sore or something like that. So she wanted her to massage yeah, her think, legs. I think she's on methadone, and um, she's trying to get off the stuff because later he says, if she would have stayed on the regular stuff. Yeah. She yeah. would have been fine. Well, yeah. uh, spoilers. Um yeah. but yeah, or whatever. So some some symptom from her being on drugs, methadone, whatever, um, she needs her legs to be massaged. 
But um, so then uh, she when she goes upstairs to do her legs, um, the mom uh, gives a little back history of our main character, Jeliza Rose. Yep. It's your daddy's fault you're the way you are, not mine. Because I loved you. Lip smack, little chunky baby. Irritable and hyperactive you was, just twitching and spasms and convulsions. Your daddy blew smoke in your face to keep you quiet, you know that? Uh, I think it would damage you, but don't blame me, cuz I breastfed you forever. Eliza Rose, you know I love you, don't you? Oh, I'm sorry, baby. I'm gonna do something real nice for you real soon, someday, I promise. Baby. What the fuck are you doing? How many times do I have to tell you to stay away from my chocolate, you little bitch? Oh, honey. <laughs> Mood swings. Disturbing. Yeah, so the the uh, her mom's hugging her, and the whole time she's got her arm in a really awkward position, and you can't tell exactly what's going on, but then you see she's reaching for a chocolate bar that's on the bed. Uh, apparently, she eats a lot of chocolate bars. Chocolate. Yeah, and I'm assuming that she's got the chocolate bars because she's um trying to break the habit the heroin habit or something and she's trying to yeah. um, she's on the methadone and causing cravings but and mood yeah. swings but yeah so it's disturbing yeah uh, yeah there are so there you know she was a junkie baby dad used to blow smoke in her face and what kind of smoke we're not sure um but uh i'm <laughs> sure it wasn't cigarette smoke i'm sure Probably um not. yeah uh, although the, these two are complete chain smokers in the movie, um, not the kid, but the mom and the dad. And um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it, now there are a lot of things in this movie that uh, there are. It has a lot of parallels. Not, not I don't want to say parallels, but a lot of inspiration. I think from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, she's got a copy of Alice in Wonderland she's walking around the movie with. She falls asleep with it on her, in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And um, she reads it to Jeff Bridges at one time when he's on his vacation. Yeah, so. there's, a, there's a little bit right here. Down, down, down. Would the fall never come to an end? I wonder how many miles I've fallen by this time. Alice said aloud. I must begin somewhere near the center of the earth. Yeah. So, uh, she, you know, so so there are a lot of things in here that are very similar. There's a lot of really weird, dreamy sequences. There's stuff with squirrels later on in the movie that are mm -hmm. it's really fun. Uh, doll heads, things like that. And uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's a pretty um, you know interesting movie because it is it it does have a lot of that you know, not quite fairy tale, but children's you know, or the turn of the century children's literature kind of bent to it. Uh, where yeah, but it's it's really like I said, it's it's kind of you know escaping 
a nightmare to a dream. And even though, you know, what's around you is still pretty horrible, it's kind of better than what it was before, I suppose. Well, I think that the, the you know, part of Terry Gilliam's um, disclaimer at the beginning of the movie is that she is innocent. She has toys that she doesn't know they're not as good as other toys. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know she's just playing with, with just Barbie doll heads. Yeah. Um. She, because she's the only child in that she knows. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't have other children. She knows. Yeah. Um. So she can't compare herself to them, which is a good thing in a way, but in another way, it's not. You know. Yeah. Um. She j- is just playing with herself, and well, you know, amusing herself, playing by herself. We'll say. Yeah. And her doll heads that she puts on her fingers like finger puppets. Um, and, uh, but so the, the movie, uh, takes a pretty sharp turn, uh, pretty early on and, um, mom's having a hard time. I did not record that segment, <laughs> but, fine. but mom, mom passes away and, uh, and dad and Jeliza Rose, uh, arrive in mom's bedroom and he obviously is a total space cadet, probably still, you know, um, pretty high at this moment. Yeah. And um, they decide to uh, give her an impromptu funeral. So here's this. Uh, uh, Who's the methadone to kill her? Should have kept her on the junk. I should have just cut her dose and kept her on. Now she's dead and I don't have a car. Please don't be sad. Now we can eat all our chalk bars. <laughs> Look, here they are. No, no one's gonna take you from me, sweetie. It's not happening here. Huh? No, we're leaving. Okay, we're gonna go off to the prairie. Okay? Uh, go to you, man. <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, is there anything you want to say? Hmm? Mom's dead already. Right. We should uh, give Queen Gwen Hill the real send off. All the things she loves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, there'd be uh, horses on there and. Yeah. So they're covering her body with uh, cigarettes and baubles. And what else did she love on there? Shoes. 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 She loves shoes. That's and it. Chocolate bars. Uh, they kept most of the chocolate. Oh, I think they kept the chocolate bars. Oh, back to chips. Oh, yeah. Set her on fire. Yeah, now he's trying to set her body on fire. Fifth degree. Misty Fjords at dawn. No, no, sweetie, sweetie! And Eliza Rose keeps blowing out. Maybe it's a bad idea. You might burn off the whole building. And everyone else. You're right. Let's go. Second time. That's when I started to realize, like, who's the child here? Who's, Who's taking care of things, you know? Because obviously the... The father doesn't have a firm bit grip uh, grip on reality that he's going to start a fire 
you know, a, a big blazing funeral Viking fire with his wife's in an apartment you know, building. His, yeah, he he really doesn't. He's really not linked with reality. No, no, he is not. He is he is out of it. I mean, he is a like the the junkiest of junkies in this. Um, and uh, but again, he keeps talking about all these. You know, uh, you know. Well, they they obviously they flee, uh, leave her body there covered in cigarettes and shoes and disco balls and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um and and uh they they hop on a bus. Yep. And he's not doing super good, but he keeps he keeps this promise of uh Jutland uh, alive to um to Jaliza Rose. They're going to go to this, you know, magical land uh, and visit the fjords and at one point he talks about like some kind of uh, bog creatures or something, and you know, just uh, uh, like wakes her up in the middle of the night to because he starts reading something about you know this old he's, lore. He's fascinated with the um, the properties of the bogs of um, Jutland. The bogs have been known to preserve people, like that's how we have um, it's knowledge in Denmark, by of the way. those the people's hairstyles jewelry because it just perfectly preserves their bodies mm -hmm. um strangely enough so i'm not sure what chemical it is that does that but he's he's fascinated with that and i think he's thinking about eternal life and all that so he um wants to go there yeah it's but in denmark going to the prairie to his mother's house yeah and, and jutland is in denmark by the way um yeah Oh, see, that's what I thought it was, Denmark, yeah. So, yeah, so the bus ride is real comfortable for everybody. I want yeah. to take you, all right? We're going there now, right? Sure we are, I told you. Hey. We are, aren't we? Sweetie, this is just the first stage. You and me, we're on our travels, honey. We're going all the way across the ocean to Yutland. Hmm? You and me, okay? <laughs> Is that you making those air biscuits, cutting air muffins? No, it isn't me. You should move to China. Over there, you know, the louder the burp, the better the meal. Powerful air biscuit delivered with grace will get you free dessert. There you go again. Regular art form with you. Put a plug in it, please. Don't. It's you. So yeah, so, floating obviously air, floating air biscuits ahead. and having withdrawals. Yeah, he's obviously having withdrawals from the heroin he can't shoot up in the, you know, on the bus. So he's um his body is just letting go with all this waste or something, and you know it's it's really funny to see everyone on the bus just waving their hands in front of their noses, just disgusted with the smell. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was uh, uh, definitely, um, you know, it, just a, a quickie little thing. But yeah, so yeah. I, I don't know exactly how he 
um, figures out where they're going. Like, they, but it, uh, essentially, they go out to the prairie somewhere to uh, like a really, really remote, desolated, abandoned house with graffiti this covering. This is his it. mom's house. This it was is his where mom's he house. Lived. Oh, yeah, okay. This is his mom's I, house. This is where he lived. This is where he grew up. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've watched it like a million you, times. Yeah, sorry, you, you've watched it more than me. I, I that's you know, thank a you lot. for for your information. That's okay. Um and um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Foxfire says air biscuits. I thought I was the only person who used that term. Nah, I've used air biscuits mm-hmm. before. <laughs> so he, uh, I didn't hear Foxfire's I, out there. Of, that's great. Never Hi. heard of air muffins before. So yeah, living and Heather yeah. and we had Joe and Michelle here for a bit. Um, oh, excellent! I'll get so, back in the chat room there and say hi. Yeah, and um, but uh, but yeah. So okay, so it's his mother's house, and um, the uh, the house is is trashed. It's just like yeah. you know, it's smashed up, unlivable, full of junk. If you've ever been in an abandoned house, they did a very good job of making it look like an abandoned house. Uh, I've been in. A few in my youth, yeah. um, you know. Uh, sometimes legally, sometimes not. Uh, you know, not for anything nefarious, just to look around. You know, um, but an abandoned house that might have been used by some teenagers as a party house. Yeah, th- th- there's some very nice graffiti on the walls too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I-, I won't repeat that. I won't spoil that for everybody. We'll keep the li- my language clean on the show. Um, but, uh, so, uh, so they get to the place and obviously, you know, he can, he can shoot up, AKA go on vacation and, um, Jeliza Rose w- awakes from a bad dream and, uh, runs downstairs to try and get dad to comfort her. So he's not doing real good at this point, but uh, he's, you know. He raises his arm and he kind of points at something and then yeah. just drifts off. So, yeah. so essentially, she's kind of on her own, left to explore what the hell is out there. And um, she goes, well, what does she do? Does she, uh, she goes out to a field the next day mm-hmm. and she's like stacking and arranging rocks and stuff. What was she doing there? Uh, I think that that was, um, she was just playing, and uh, there's a hole in the tree, and she was wondering if that was the hole that Alice went down. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, and um, she's just looking at some flowers and rearranging some rocks. But Yeah, so, uh, and this is this is going to be the last clip for this, because we don't want to spoil the, the film for everybody. 
Um, but this is uh, one of the people she meets um, from, you know, the neighborhood, <laughs> which uh, consists of one other house, some train tracks, and a lot of dead wheat. Uh, <laughs> very, it's a very rural, rural prairie area. Yeah. Because je the je dad figure, he calls it the prairie. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the house that's his mother's, it's completely surrounded by fields. Yeah. There's like, I mean, there's no corner store. There's not even a road. No. You know, there's no sidewalks. There's no. Railroad, railroad tracks are the closest uh, thing to civilization uh, around, except for another house that's separated by quite a few acres. Um, and yeah, Livin said little outhouse on the prairie, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, she, the, 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 a woman approaches her, uh, dressed all in black, uh, with, uh, an odd pair of goggle type glasses with one lens blacked out and a black veil. And, you know, she, she, it, she looks like some kind of post-apocalyptic warrior almost and, uh, cross with Mary Poppins or something. <laughs> And, um, and she, she starts calling her a vandal because she's, you know, I think she's playing on her property or something like that. And, um, and she, uh, uh, has a weird interaction with her and she gives her some history about, uh, her, uh, the, the woman whose name I, I escapes me. I don't know if she was ever named in the film or not. Um, but, uh. She, uh, this is just interesting. She she lifts her veil and talks to her and, well, just listen. It's not going to make that much sense, but we'll try and elaborate. Any bees? Any bees? Go mess elsewhere. One sting and I'm paralyzed. Most likely dead. But you are dead. What a thing to say. What kind of a child are you? What I meant to say was... Well, you should say what you mean. I, I do. No, you don't. I mean, what you say is something quite different. You might just as well have said, I see what I eat is the same as I eat what I see, which it is. You see a being, you hear a being, you'll say so, right? If I'm stung and die, it'll be your fault. Uh. Stung in my own garden. Blinded by me. Revenge. I destroy my daddy's hives, I say. Pour gas on them. Set them ablaze. See my daddy? He loved his bees. I love him, I'm sure. These jealous creatures, though. Hated my mama. Pure evil. My mama's heart just stopped. And we never had apple pie again. She has changed forever. Now, there isn't a bee alive that doesn't want me murdered. And this, this is revenge. Dead peeper. Dreadful, isn't it? Dead peeper. Dreadful, isn't it? That was uh, Janet McTeer as Dell. Um, and so she thinks every bee is out to get her because she burned down her father's beehives because, and, and the bees killed her mother and then they stung her in the eye and now she's got a dead milky eye. Um, so, uh, oh, and thanks. Yeah. Sue's put that in the chat room. Um, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so it's, it, it's, this is just the beginning of her adventure outside of, uh, the, her father's mother's house, her grandmother's house, what we should say. Yeah. And, um, from there it gets weird, creepy, funny, strange. Um, and again, uh, very, very dreamy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is it is a very odd movie. I think it's it's must see for as far as we're concerned. But the thing is, you know, it is disturbing. But um Yeah. I don't know. Well it's uh it it's a a weird movie, but you should you should watch it. Yeah, and if you're if you're a fan of Brazil, I mean, this is not nearly it's this is yeah. this is like an independent feature compared to Brazil. Uh, you know, there there was some studio backing by it, but it was not the big grand scale of Brazil. If you're a fan of Brazil, um, th this has a lot of elements similar to it. Again, it's it's like like I said, um, in it, but it with a different a different. Um, mode of operation this girl is able to escape uh an ugly reality uh with her innocence you know yeah. she, she she views things completely differently um you know and she's kind of hardened to uh to tragedy uh, in the beginning and um you know it's it's pretty pretty interesting unlike you know brazil you know, it's a it's an adult who's desperate to break away from the tedium of paperwork and uh, bureaucracy, bureaucracy and yeah. uh, you know, and uh, law enforcement, whatever, um, and uh, you know, being turned into a criminal for um, you know the the most minor infraction, uh, and then you know, uh, escaping into uh, a vegetative state into a dream. <laughs> Where she makes her reality her dream, kind of, is, is I guess is what, um, you know, and that's what kids do. I don't, I don't think she's hardened by her mother dying. I think she's... Um, no. She's looking at the positive side the whole time. She, her mother was kind of... She's a daddy's girl. Now she can be with yeah, daddy. She didn't... And have the chocolate bars to herself. You know, I don't think she's, she's hardened by it at all. I think she's well, just... Yeah, I think Going she didn't along. like her mother, obviously. You know, she wanted her mother's yeah. chocolate, and that was it, um, for the most part. But I, I, I'm saying that maybe maybe I'm saying it wrong. She wasn't hardened to tragedy. I mean, we don't know anything about her before that, but obviously yeah. she's hardened to the tragic idea of a child being raised in that environment. And it's just her normal, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. But, uh, yeah, so, so we've got, you know, again, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like two sides of the coin, but you know, and again, that, that's what kids do. That's what we did when we played, you know, we played with mm -hmm. our own toys and we created our own stories and, uh, yeah. you know, turned a stick into a gun and, you know, uh, uh took our toys outside and made a pile of dirt, a mountain, you know, sure. uh, you know, dug a hole and it was a canyon, um, yeah. you know, so, so that's kind of, uh, what she does, uh, throughout the film. And it's, it's, it's yeah. fascinating again to, to see it. Um, and, and so I will admit some of the, 
some of the visual effects. The movie came out in 2005. Um, the visual effects, not all of them hold up real well, but, you know, again, it was, it was pretty much a shoestring budget compared to, um, even, uh, well, well, what, what was his movie before this? Brothers Grimm? I think so. Yeah. He did that and he did the Baron Von Busen and Baron, Baron Von Munchausen. That was, or that was in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he did twelve monkeys and stuff uh, as well. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, um, but yeah. So uh, I think. But yeah. So let me see. What, what? Let me look at his. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Well, twelve. Um. Wait a second. Uh, films, Time Bandits, Monty Python, Meaning of Life, Brazil, The Adventures of Baron. Uh, I love Time Munchausen, love Fisher it. King, Twelve Monkeys, Tideland. What movie did I say before that? Um, uh, the oh, wait a second. Oh, that's just awards and honors. I'm sorry. That's oh, okay. <laughs> that's um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um. Okay, the Brothers Grimm, two thousand five, came out the same year, two thousand five, as Tideland. Oh wow! So and before no, that, two thousand and five was... was the trailer for Tideland. Two thousand six, I think, is the year it came out. Well, if it was, I'm not looking it, at the thing, it, but gotcha. I'm I'm looking at the year, the filmography, um, and it it says two thousand five for Tideland. Oh, okay, I'm sure that's um, right then. So yeah, so he did, and before that, it was seven years before that was uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, Twelve Monkeys three and ninety five, Fisher King ninety one, and then of course he did the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, the Zero Theorem. Oh yeah, Zero Theorem, which that. was a slog, man. Um, not a big fan of that. And the Man Who Killed Don Quixote came out in twenty eighteen. Oh. I haven't seen that yet. What? Yeah. That seems right up your alley. Well, that's a movie he's been trying to get done for a long time. There was a documentary, I believe, made about uh, this. Um, and uh, But yeah, it says he, he, he attempted to make the uh, movie over the span of 29 years. Wow. So, But he finally got it done. So, and, you know, he lost the actor who wanted to play him. Johnny Depp was supposed to be in it. Um, I don't think he would turned out being in it. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, so, you know, that's, uh, but uh, yeah, the, um, uh, the Brothers Grimm, that was an odd movie. That was Heath Ledger and Matt Damon starring as the Brothers Grimm who were like monster fighters. Mm. So, so a lot of things from the Brothers Grimm fairy tales, um, you know, showed up as, as the, the monsters and stuff in the film. Yeah. So, but yeah, so we, we both, uh, love Tideland. It's a film that's near and dear to our heart. Um, you guys. Yeah, I love Time Bandits. I, I, before I knew it was Tara Gilliam, I just loved that movie. That's a great film. I've watched film. that a million times. Saw it in the theater when it came out. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, but yeah, time, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tideland, uh, we absolutely adore the film. Uh, we named a cat after the main character. Um, mm -hmm. Something we wanted to share with everybody. 
so if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, now Susan, you you um, you were uh, you we were gonna mention a book that you you've been uh, reading as well. Oh, I was just gonna mention, yeah, um, that I was I'm in the middle of several books right now because I like to be in the middle of several books, but. I'm reading Charles Kingsley, The Water Babies. Yeah. Um, and it's called A Fairy Tale for Land Babies. It's a it's a fun book, but kind of I was doing these um, looks at turn of the century libraries, and I saw it as one of the ones that looked like a fantasy, but I'd never heard of it and mm -hmm. never read it, and I thought, wow, that looks like a good book. So I um, ordered it. On eBay, because you can get anything on eBay. Anything. Crazy like that. Except Crazy. hand grenades, I've tried. Well, why would you want a hand grenade? The holy hand Jesus. grenade of Antioch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> or a holy hand grenade of Antioch, or just a holy hand, okay. hand, just a holy hand grenade. Just a holy hand grenade Consult the Book of yeah. Armaments. It's um, a fun book. It's it's got fun illustrations. I've used it for, um, you know, the when we started doing fairy lights for fairy nights. Picture of a little boy and a fish. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's kind of that turn of the century book that uh, he's talking about. They're they're talking about Darwinism and thinking like that. And basically, it's about a little boy that turns into a a mer boy, a mer fish. So, ah. yeah. So, uh, how far along? Water are you? baby. Yeah, how far along are you in the uh, in the book? I'm about half half done. Yeah. But yeah, like you know, it does have a lot of uh, you know, uh, his adventures before he gets into the water, and uh, so uh, right who, now he's who's he's, the author? It's um by Charles Kingsley. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking for the year it was published. It says 1977 copyright, but that's not the year it was written. So it was written much earlier, I think. But um Okay, uh, yeah. The Water Baby is a fairy tale for a land baby. Um yeah, 1885. Yeah, 1885. No, no, 1863. Published um, 1863. First publication. Yeah, day. that makes sense. But for 1863, it still has that. Um, it's still um, not too blustery a writing. It's I, I hate it when Victorian writing is like. Blah, 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 blah. Oh gosh, and um, yeah, it's kind of. Kind of lightly touches on Darwinism, which I think is fun, because that was mm -hmm. new new thought then, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, it actually, just goes through the adventures of this little mm -hmm. street urchin named Tom, who um, really didn't have anybody, which is you know something more uh, eighteen mid eighteen hundreds. The, the idea of a child that didn't have an adoption agency or, or a, you know, a family to mm -hmm. snatch him up. And he was just running the streets until he becomes a water baby, which is a kind of a child, mer, mer child. 
Well, uh, now, now to get to the deep, dark secret of uh, the Water Babies. Um, well, first of all, it was published, it was uh, written in 1862 to 63 as a serial for Macmillan's Magazine. It was first published in its entirety in 1863. And uh, this is from Wikipedia. It says, uh, it, was yeah, written, yeah. it was written as part satire. Uh, it was written as part satire in support of Charles Darwin's The Origin of the Species. The book was yeah. extremely popular in England and was a mainstay of British children's literature for many decades, but eventually fell out of favor in part due to its prejudices against Irish, Jews, Catholics, and Americans. <laughs> Well, I haven't gotten there yet, but hey. Wait, I'm what are you sure saying about America? You know, it's 1862. Don't y'all go bad math on America, you limey bastard. Um, yeah. So, uh, sorry, I said limey. That was insensitive. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that's interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tom, uh, Tom was a young chimney sweep, uh, fell into a river. Uh, encountering an yeah. upper class girl by the name uh, named Ellie, mm -hmm. uh, and she was being chased out of her house. Um, yeah, and, and the the chase is funny. Let me tell you about that. But um, there the are the years of the Civil War, eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five. Just to remind you, because I always like to um, keep it in context, because there is a lot of fantasy that comes out during wartime. You know? So, mm -hmm. an about wartime. And about escapism. But yeah, he, um... He's doing the chimney, his chimney sweep thing, and he comes out in a little girl's bedroom. And the cook chases him off. The Everybody chases him off. The property. And because he's a little street urchin, he just runs. He doesn't ask questions. He knows if he gets caught, they'll probably hurt him. So, it's kind of funny, because there's a chase scene that... He's being followed by, you know, the the maid and the butler and the dog and the cat and another butler and, you know, the uh, just everybody. The doorman, you know, it's fun. So, so. quite the uh, action-packed chase sequence. Yeah, it's the action-packed chase scene of 1862. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but no, I'm looking at the, um, uh, one of the illustrations. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, save the image yeah. and share it in the chat room. Uh, they are cute. This is really fun. Um, yeah, download original file. That's what I want you to, oh my god. Sorry. Um, <laughs> this is being a pain in the butt. Um, but yeah, so, um, but no, the, these are some really stellar, uh, illustrations. Hopefully, this isn't too big for Discord, but uh, yeah. But you, yeah. So go ahead and continue talking about the book. Uh, you don't have to wait. On oh me. no, that's a that's like I said. Um, it just kind of talks about how uh, he, you know, he's he's speaking Cockney and. He uh, Oi, runs away from everybody, yeah, and he runs into the water, and uh, he's he's being followed by a lady, and which later turns out to be a water spirit, and they kind of pick him out as someone that that um, you know, they can grant these extra abilities to, but won't be missed. Like they kind of see that he doesn't 
he doesn't have anyone. And um, he, would um, that have been Mrs. Be Done by As You Did? Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't think I've... I'm only halfway through, That's like okay. I said. So, um, but yeah, he um, interacts with trouts, and he interacts with um, uh, bugs and waterflies and dragonflies, and, you know, it's it's kind of a cute little thing where we're teaching... Kind of teaching children about animals in the lake, but at the same time, we're, um, you know, he's having adventures and things like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, the writer was, uh, um, uh, he was a broad church priest of the Church of England, a university professor, social reformer, historian, novelist, and poet. He's particularly associated with Christian socialism. The Working Men's College Informing Labor Cooperatives. Yeah. Hippie. So, hippie, yeah. So he is involved in some other things. But I, I really, I thought it was, I just wanted it to read it because I, I like, you know, children's literature of that time period. And it looked like, I like the illustrations, so I'm sure I would like it. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's good. So, there is our book recommendation for everybody. Um, And, um, let me see. Uh, I don't know what the heck that is. Um, Yeah, so we're, um, uh, I guess it's about time for us to to go to the break. Because we got to get ready to return to the wonderful land of Oz. And I yeah, I did some... something interesting tonight, and I want to get everybody's opinion on how we're presenting uh, the first four chapters of this. Uh, because uh, oh, I don't want to spoil it. I haven't even told Susan what I've done. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have not. <laughs> so, um, and um, yeah, and we might have a couple other little surprises. Maybe we'll dig up uh, something we haven't played before. Uh, we might possibly have time for... Um, I don't know. Well, we've got quite a few, quite a bit of audio. We'll see if there's something short we can play. Um, but yeah, so I think we should go ahead and uh, hop to a break, like the all the, right, like that rabbit from Monty Python, <laughs> which everybody's Sounds good to me. sharing pictures of. But yeah, so we're gonna go ahead and take a break. On the inaugural edition of What's It Called Tour? Time for go to bed. That's right. We're not, we're not, you know, I, I, I thought, why do we want like a crazy hyper intro with all kinds of audio clips <laughs> and stuff? We should just have a piece of music. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the music piece that we're using on the show uh, because there's some other fun facts regarding Eric Satie, the composer. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted it to be. That this is not it. This is from the music we used before from Carnival of the Animals. By uh, you want me to post that YouTube video that I watched? Uh, that was uh, that you gave me. That was if fun. You want, if you want. Okay. So, um, but yeah, okay. We're gonna go ahead and go to a break, and we'll be back with more. What's it called, Suze? Time for go to bed. And now. On with the show. Time for go to bed.
Eric Satie started his own religion. <laughs> he was the only member, and he just distributed pamphlets that uh, made fun of critics of his. The Rosicrucians was an interesting religion. I've, I've got, I have books of it. I don't really, I can't speak on it. But, you know, it seemed like a new thing they were trying at the turn of the century previously. Yeah, he was a member of the Rosicrucians, and then he split off and he started his own yeah. uh, religion. And, yeah. like I said. And this, this piece of music, the Gymnopides, if I'm saying it correctly, mm. um, they were, uh, he basically, uh, the movement that it came from translates I don't know the French name but it translates to uh, furniture music or furnishing music mm-hmm. which the score is not meant to be listened to and appreciated it's meant to be heard it's supposed to be ambient music he essentially created he discovered ambient music yeah he yeah. created ambient music awesome and you know you hear that it's, it's very minimalist um very slow and meandering and uh, inspired yeah, a lot awesome. of inspired people like Kraftwerk of all artists you know yeah so uh, that's what we're doing right now you're yeah. supposed to be paying attention to us not the music yeah so exactly we're doing what uh, Eric Satie wanted just have a little yeah, conversation yeah intended there's a lot of fun facts about this guy um uh so we'll we'll share those uh on later episodes. Why not? <laughs> so essentially, the dude invented elevator music. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I love this piece. There's a there's a, a great version of this that's not royalty free. That it's done on the um, oboe. It's beautiful and haunting. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I think uh, kiddo. Might uh, there might be a kiddo drop coming up from Foxfire? I think he's still hanging awesome. out. Awesome. I think she said he's still hanging out on hanging out in Oz, which is good for us because <laughs> uh, we're shortly we'll be returning to Oz with Ozma of Oz. Um, just a quick, uh, uh, just a little quick thing. Um, I got my second Moderna shot. I'm fully vaccinated Yay! now, so two weeks. And I will be uh, completely uh, immune-ish. I think that's how it works. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to to be a, a, a member of Club Modern, and uh, or at least you know Club it, vaccinated. I mean, we're not gonna go breathing in the face of strangers. We're not gonna, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things. But I'm still gonna wear masks. Still gonna wear masks. Still not gonna go to bars, small restaurants, restaurants, bars. Yeah. Maybe stay do for some, hours. I mean, maybe do some outside patio dining. Uh, you know, um, but we are planning on having a party, a small get together around Susan's birthday. Um, so yeah. we can watch movies with our outdoor projector, and for all of our friends who have been vaccinated, not all of them, but a but a hand, you know, some other couples and. One of our friends' sons, and, you know, um, yeah. you know, and, and then you know, as a warm up to uh, a bigger party, once we get our privacy fence put up in the backyard, which 
Can't yeah. come soon enough. Can't come soon enough. We have a neighbor who refuses to mow their grass. <laughs> and it drives and... me crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we're doing a show tomorrow, Heather. Uh, it came from Cleveland. It will be on every Friday. And uh, I guess that's my plug. Uh, we are celebrating. It's a nice mixed bag of birthdays, celebrity birthdays. Some people still alive. Oh, my God. Um I love to mix up a bag. Sometimes yeah. you got to mix up the bag. Yeah. So George Lucas, Meg Foster, George Carlin, Emilio Estevez, B. Arthur, mm -hmm. and... Um, we might have a little mention of L. Frank Baum, but um, possibly not. And I think we're going to also do, <laughs> we're going to have our Twilight Zone review of, uh, flip the page, The Chaser from 1960. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're also going to do uh, the, um, the Magic Mushroom episode of One Step Beyond, where the host actually went to Mexico and took magic mushrooms. The Sacred Mushroom, I believe, is the name of the episode. Um, nice. So yeah, so lots of fun. We're gonna be talking about a lot of fun movies. I'll be talking to Emilio Estevez and uh, B. Arthur a little bit. Uh, Miles, of course, will talk George Lucas. Joe will talk George Carlin. Michelle will talk Meg Foster, and of course, we're you know we're all kind of picking our favorite moments for everybody. So you'll be and, talking about them. They won't be on the show, right? Uh, no, unless we can get the Ouija board working for a couple of them. <laughs> So, for uh, George Carlin and B. Arthur, uh, at the very least. But yeah, so I'm excited. I, I can't wait to talk about Emilio Estevez, because I, I, I seriously thought he was the coolest dude in the 80s in movies. I loved, um, just, you know, of course, I'm not going to say what three movies I, I'm picking from him, but you guys can probably guess what I'm going to be picking. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, uh, I guess uh, without further ado... Um, Suze, why don't you, um, uh, tell us a little bit about your, uh, recollections of Ozma of Oz. Um, Ozma is a delightful character. She's the girl ruler of Oz. Um, she's, comes from a long line of fairies, I think. Um, she comes from a long line of rulers. Um, there was some sort of a coup and she was... Put into hiding um, with Mombi, and she was disguised as a boy. And um, as we learned in the last episodes, we were listening at the end of the marvelous land of Oz, um, when uh, the Wizard of Oz left Oz, the Scarecrow took over, and uh, the Scarecrow, because of his his um, great brain function. He um, took over the Emerald City, and um, at the end of The Marvelous Land of Oz, Ozma was reinstated as the Princess of Oz. So, as the book goes, I know I read it, I know I have it, but I haven't read it in a long time, so it's the story of her reestablishing her reign mm -hmm. for the Oz country, Yeah, whether it be the Emerald City... The Gillikin County, the Munchkin County, the Winky County, and there's one more, and I forget what it's called. You know, and I, but, I really kind of was looking at, you know, I thought General Ginger was kind of cool for a minute. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, you're awful. Yeah, she's not that great. But she wanted to kill everybody. 
She wanted to kill everybody. She talked about killing everybody. But nasty. often they don't. You That's nasty. The... Truly wicked characters talk about killing people, but they don't. Yeah. In Oz, thank God. Mm-hmm. Except for random acts of dropping houses on people and, and, and burning them to death with water. Linda might have done that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, this is... Uh, now, this is my surprise for everybody. Is there are th no less than three versions on LibriVox of, um, of this. I downloaded two of them today. Um, <laughs> and so, what I thought was... Why don't we do tandem readings per chapter? And um, I found the guy who read uh, Marvelous Land of Oz, since we were kind of digging his voice, and I found a woman who was reading it too. So I figured I would give the odd uh, chapters to the guy and the even chapters to the gal. And um, uh, there, there is an extra little bit uh, at the beginning. So the... The dude who read the last one gets uh, the first two clips because he read the uh, preface separately. Um, whereas, uh, so it, 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 but the the woman who read it read the preface and the chapter together. So um, technically, the first two clips are one clip, if you know what nice. I mean. But but it has you know um, everything about you know why he wrote the book and what it's about mm -hmm. and who he wrote it for and. And so it's it's pretty fun. I um, I'm excited about this one because I think this is one of your favorites, right, Suze? Mm-hmm. I think it is. And you know, it's been years since I've read it, so I'm glad to be rereading it with the listening. Mm -hmm. Because uh, yeah, yeah, and it works you guys out can let me, me know if you if you like this, the tandem reading or not. Um, if not, we'll uh, you know. Maybe I'll find the third person who read it and see what it sounds like. <laughs> but here's, uh, here's the preface. Preface and author's note of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Preface and Author's Note Ozma of Oz, A Record of Her Adventures with Dorothy Gale of Kansas The Yellow Hen, The Scarecrow, The Tin Woodman, Tick-Tock, The Cowardly Lion, and The Hungry Tiger Besides other good people too numerous to mention, faithfully recorded herein By L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wizard of Oz the Land of Oz, etc. Author's Note My friends, the children, are responsible for this new Oz book, as they were for the last one, which was called The Land of Oz. Their sweet little letters pled to know more about Dorothy, and they asked what became of the Cowardly Lion, and what did Ozma do afterward, meaning, of course, after she became the ruler of Oz and some of them suggest plots to me, saying, Please have Dorothy go to the Land of Oz again, or Why don't you make Ozma and Dorothy meet and have a good time together? Indeed, could I do all that my little friends ask, I would be obliged to write dozens of books to satisfy their demands. 
and I wish I could, for I enjoy writing these stories just as much as the children say they enjoy reading them. Well, here is more about Dorothy, and about our old friends the Scarecrow, and the Tin Woodman, and about the Cowardly Lion, and Ozma, and all the rest of them, and here likewise is a good deal about some new folks that are queer and unusual. One little friend who read this story before it was printed said to me, Billina is real Ozzy, Mr. Baum, and so are Tick-Tock and the Hungry Tiger. If this judgment is unbiased and correct, and the little folks find this new story real Ozzy, I shall be very glad indeed that I wrote it. But perhaps I shall get some more of those very welcome letters from my readers telling me just how they like Ozma of Oz. I hope so, anyway. L. Frank Baum, Makatois, 1907. End preface and author's note. Now that's pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. Like I was saying, uh, it's kind of funny that people in the chat room were wondering where uh, Dorothy went. So were the children, well, so were the readers a hundred years ago. Yeah. They were writing snail mail to L. Frank Baum. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that this is uh, this is exciting. I'm I'm kind of curious to see. Mm-hmm. And and also just a quick note on Dorothy's appearance uh, from the film and in the books. Uh, Dorothy oh, yeah. Dorothy was a towhead, right? She was blonde in the books. Oh sure, little blonde girl. Yeah. So um, Ozma's got gorgeous, dark, flowing, exotic hair and. Uh, Dorothy's got a little blonde bobbish with a b- big bow on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Turn of the century, they just put a big bow in your hair. So. Sure. And yeah. also, uh, um, uh, Ozma, as was revealed in uh, Marvelous Land of Oz, uh, was Tip. Tip was turned, uh, well, Ozma was turned into a little boy by um, uh, Mombi. And, and maybe... Uh, Maybe the wizard to yeah. protect him, her, yeah, as a boy, and then he was disenchanted at the end of the marvelous land of Oz and turned into a little girl and a girl ruler. And as our friend Kat uh pointed out, Ozma is a beloved character in the trans community, so this is uh, yeah. uh you know, this is a uh, pretty um, you know. Socially aware uh, writing in, you know, uh, back when people weren't very socially aware about a lot of things. Yeah, I think Frank Obama does take things that he social uh, and you'll see this. It's in the most pleasant of ways in, in an adventure kind of way. But he does take social issues and put them right in his books. Yeah, there's no messing around. And that's why I just was addicted to these books, child. Yeah, because um. You know, it's a very, just a, you know, a, a very curious and inquisitive and um, intelligent uh, point of view. And yeah. uh, Foxfire just posted a, a lovely picture of uh, Ozma and Dorothy with Belina the chicken. <laughs> the yellow hen. The yellow hen. You got to hang out with your hen. So it's not Judy Garland living. No, no. If you're definitely a, not. We we do have a chat room we can interact with. Uh, 
Yeah. App Discord. Radio for Humans chat room. Yeah, Radio so, for yeah, Humans that's... International. Find us on Discord. That's one of my favorite um, covers that Foxfire just posted. That picture. That's ah, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So, and it's uh, in that Art Nouveau style. Mm -hmm. She's got the poppies. Ozma has those poppies on the sides of her head that are so often used in um, Art Nouveau pictures and things like that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. But go ahead. Very classic. All right, well, uh, here is chapter one. Unfortunately, I don't have the chapter names in front of me. Um, yeah, I don't, it does, this one, they didn't list the chapter names. But eh, don't worry, the reader will say. Here we go. Chapter one of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 1 The Girl in the Chicken Coop The wind blew hard and joggled the water of the ocean, sending ripples across its surface. Then the wind pushed the edges of the ripples until they became waves, and shoved the waves around until they became billows. The billows rolled dreadfully high, higher even than the tops of houses. Some of them, indeed, rolled as high as the tops of tall trees, and seemed like mountains, and the gulfs between great billows were like deep valleys. All this mad dashing and splashing of the waters of the big ocean, which the mischievous wind caused without any good reason whatever, resulted in a terrible storm, and a storm on the ocean is liable to cut many queer pranks and do a lot of damage. At the time the wind began to blow, a ship was sailing far out upon the waters. When the waves began to tumble and toss and to grow bigger and bigger, the ship rolled up and down and tipped sideways first one way and then the other, and was jostled around so roughly that even the sailormen had to hold fast to ropes and railings to keep themselves from being swept away by the wind or pitched headlong into the sea. And the clouds were so thick in the sky that the sunlight couldn't get through them, so that the day grew dark as night, which added to the terrors of the storm. The captain of the ship was not afraid, because he had seen storms before and had sailed his ship through them in safety but he knew that his passengers would be in danger if they tried to stay on deck, so he put them all into the cabin and told them to stay there until after the storm was over, and to keep brave hearts and not be scared, and all would be well with them. Now among these passengers was a little Kansas girl named Dorothy Gale, who was going with her Uncle Henry to Australia to visit some relatives they had never before seen. Uncle Henry, you must know, was not very well, because he had been working so hard on his Kansas farm that his health had given way and left him weak and nervous. So he left Aunt Em at home to watch after the hired men and to take care of the farm, while he traveled far away to Australia to visit his cousins and have a good rest. Dorothy was eager to go with him on this journey, and Uncle Henry thought she would be good company and help cheer him up, so he decided to take her along. The little girl was quite an experienced traveler, for she had once been carried by a cyclone as far away from home as the marvelous land of Oz. And she had met with a good many adventures in that strange country before she managed to get back to Kansas again. 
so she wasn't easily frightened whatever happened, and when the wind began to howl and whistle and the waves began to tumble and toss, our little girl didn't mind the uproar the least bit. Of course we'll have to stay in the cabin, she said to her uncle Henry and the other passengers, and keep as quiet as possible until the storm is over, for the captain says if we go on deck we may be blown overboard. No one wanted to risk such an accident as that, you may be sure. So all the passengers stayed huddled up in the dark cabin listening to the shrieking of the storm and the creaking of the masts and rigging and trying to keep from bumping into one another when the ship tipped sideways. Dorothy had almost fallen asleep when she was aroused with a start to find that Uncle Henry was missing. She couldn't imagine where he had gone, and as he was not very strong she began to worry about him, and to fear he might have been careless enough to go on deck. In that case he would be in great danger unless he instantly came down again. The fact was that Uncle Henry had gone to lie down in his little sleeping berth, but Dorothy did not know that. She only remembered that Aunt Em had cautioned her to take good care of her uncle. So at once she decided to go on deck and find him, in spite of the fact that the tempest was now worse than ever, and the ship was plunging in a really dreadful manner. Indeed, the little girl found it was as much as she could do to mount the stairs to the deck, and as soon as she got there the wind struck her so fiercely that it almost tore away the skirts of her dress. Yet Dorothy felt a sort of joyous excitement in defying the storm, and while she held fast to the railing she peered around through the gloom, and thought she saw the dim form of a man clinging to a mast not far away from her. This might be her uncle, so she called as loudly as she could. Uncle Henry! Uncle Henry! But the wind screeched and howled so madly that she scarce heard her own voice, and the man certainly failed to hear her, for he did not move. Dorothy decided she must go to him, so she made a dash forward during a lull in the storm to where a big square chicken coop had been lashed to the deck with ropes. She reached this place in safety, but no sooner had she seized fast hold of the slats of the big box in which the chickens were kept than the wind, as if enraged because the little girl dared to resist its power, suddenly redoubled its fury. With a scream like that of an angry giant, it tore away the ropes that held the coop and lifted it high into the air with Dorothy still clinging to the slats. Around and over it whirled this way and that and a few moments later the chicken coop dropped far away into the sea, where the big waves caught it and slid it uphill to a foaming crest, and then downhill into a deep valley as if it were nothing more than a plaything to keep them amused. Dorothy had a good ducking, you may be sure, but she didn't lose her presence of mind even for a second. She kept tight hold of the stout slats, and as soon as she could get the water out of her eyes, she saw that the wind had ripped the cover from the coop, and the poor chickens were fluttering away in every direction, being blown by the wind until they looked like feather dusters without handles. The bottom of the coop was made of thick boards, so Dorothy found she was clinging to a sort of raft, with sides of slats, which readily bore up her weight. After coughing the water out of her throat and getting her breath again, she managed to climb over the slats, and stand upon the firm wooden bottom of the coop, which supported her easily enough. "'Why, I've got a ship of my own!' she thought, more amused than frightened at her sudden change of condition. And then, as the coop climbed up to the top of a big wave, she looked eagerly around for the ship from which she had been blown. It was far, far away by this time. Perhaps no one on board had yet missed her, 
or knew of her strange adventure. Down into a valley between the waves the coop swept her, and when she climbed another crest the ship looked like a toy boat. It was such a long way off. Soon it had entirely disappeared in the gloom, and then Dorothy gave a sigh of regret at parting with Uncle Henry, and began to wonder what was going to happen to her next. Just now she was tossing on the bosom of a big ocean, with nothing to keep her afloat but a miserable wooden hen coop that had a plank bottom and slatted sides, through which water constantly splashed and wetted her through to the skin, and there was nothing to eat when she became hungry, as she was sure to do before long, and no fresh water to drink and no dry clothes to put on. "'Well, I declare!' she exclaimed with a laugh. "'You're in a pretty fix, Dorothy Gale, I can tell you, and I haven't the least idea how you're going to get out of it.' As if to add to her troubles, the night was now creeping on, and the grey clouds overhead changed to inky blackness. But the wind, as if satisfied at last with its mischievous pranks, stopped blowing this ocean, and hurried away to another part of the world to blow something else. So the waves, not being joggled any more, began to quiet down and behave themselves. It was lucky for Dorothy, I think, that the storm subsided, otherwise brave though she was, I fear she might have perished. Many children in her place would have wept and given way to despair. But, because Dorothy had encountered so many adventures and come safely through them, it did not occur to her, at this time, to be especially afraid. She was wet and uncomfortable, it is true, but, after sighing that one sigh I told you of, she managed to recall some of her customary cheerfulness, and decided to patiently await whatever her fate might be. By and by, the black clouds rolled away and showed a blue sky overhead, with a silver moon shining sweetly in the middle of it, and little stars winked merrily at Dorothy when she looked their way. The coop did not toss around any more, but rode the waves more gently, almost like a cradle rocking so that the floor upon which Dorothy stood was no longer swept by water coming through the slats. Seeing this, and being quite exhausted by the excitement of the past few hours, the little girl decided that sleep would be the best thing to restore her strength, and the easiest way in which she could pass the time. The floor was damp, and she was herself wringing wet, but fortunately this was a warm climate, and she did not feel at all cold. So she sat down in a corner of the coop, leaned her back against the slats, nodded at the friendly stars before she closed her eyes, and was asleep in half a minute. End chapter one. So, looks like uh, people are, uh, I mean, before we've even heard our mm -hmm. second reader, uh, I think we're all liking the uh, multiple voices, or at least two voices, uh, yeah. in this so far. Yeah. I kind of like that when we have another voice instead of someone doing an impression. Yeah, it's a little more engaging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, uh, now looking at the time, I think we're only going to have time for uh, three three chapters tonight. So, we will give uh, we'll give a tryout to the woman uh, for uh, uh, chapter two, and mm -hmm. who read chapter two, and uh, we'll end with uh, chapter three, which is the multi voice one. So yeah, um, so yeah, I, I I think we should uh, uh, jump right back into it, um, cool, and uh, and see where uh, what happens with Dorothy's nap. 
This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 2 The Yellow Hen A strange noise awoke Dorothy, who opened her eyes to find that day had dawned and the sun was shining brightly in a clear sky. She had been dreaming that she was back in Kansas again, and playing in the old barnyard with the calves and pigs and chickens all around her, and at first, as she rubbed the sleep from her eyes, she really imagined she was there. Cut, 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 dot, cut, 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 dot, cut. Ah, here again was the strange noise that had awakened her. Surely it was a hen cackling. But her wide-open eyes first saw, through the slats of the coop, the blue waves of the ocean, now calm and placid, and her thoughts flew back to the past night, so full of danger and discomfort. Also she began to remember that she was a waif of the storm, adrift upon a treacherous and unknown sea. Cut-cut-cut-cut-cut! What's that? cried Dorothy, starting to her feet. Why, I've just laid an egg, that's all, replied a small but sharp and distinct voice. And looking around her, the little girl discovered a yellow hen squatting in the opposite corner of the coop. Dear me, she exclaimed in surprise, have you been here all night too? Of course, answered the hen, fluttering her wings and yawning. When the coop blew away from the ship, I clung fast to this corner with claws and beak, for I knew if I fell into the water I'd surely be drowned. Indeed, I nearly drowned as it was, with all that water washing over me. I never was so wet before in my life. Yes, agreed Dorothy, it was pretty wet for a time, I know. But do you feel comfortable now? Not very. The sun has helped to dry my feathers, as it has your dress, and I feel better since I laid my morning egg. But what's to become of us? I should like to know, afloat on this big pond." I'd like to know that, too, said Dorothy, but tell me, how does it happen that you are able to talk? I thought hens could only cluck and cackle. Why, as for that, answered the yellow hen thoughtfully, I've clucked and cackled all my life, and never spoken a word before this morning that I can remember. But when you asked a question a minute ago, it seemed the most natural thing in the world to answer you. So I spoke, and I seem to keep on speaking, just as you and other human beings do. Strange, isn't it? Very, replied Dorothy. If we were in the land of Oz, I wouldn't think it so queer, because many of the animals can talk in that fairy country. But out here in the ocean must be a good long way from Oz. How is my grammar? asked the yellow hen anxiously. Do I speak quite properly, in your judgment? Yes, said Dorothy, you do very well for a beginner. I'm glad to know that, continued the yellow hen in a confidential tone, because if one is going to talk, it's best to talk correctly. The red rooster has often said that my cluck and my cackle were quite perfect, and now it's a comfort to know I am talking properly. I'm beginning to get hungry, remarked Dorothy. It's breakfast time, but there's no breakfast. You may have my egg, said the yellow hen. I don't care for it, you know. Don't you want to hatch it? asked the little girl in surprise. No, indeed, I never care to hatch eggs unless I've a nice snug nest in some quiet place, with a baker's dozen of eggs under me. 
That's thirteen, you know, and it's a lucky number for hens. So you may as well eat this egg. Oh, I couldn't possibly eat it unless it was cooked, exclaimed Dorothy. But I'm much obliged for your kindness just the same. Don't mention it, my dear, answered the hen calmly, and began pruning her feathers. For a moment, Dorothy stood looking out over the wide sea. She was still thinking of the egg, though, so presently she asked, Why do you lay eggs when you don't expect to hatch them? It's a habit I have, replied the yellow hen. It has always been my pride to lay a fresh egg every morning, except when I'm molting. I never feel like having my morning cackle till the egg is properly laid, and without the chance to cackle, I would not be happy. It's strange, said the girl reflectively, but as I'm not a hen, I can't be spected to understand that. Certainly not, my dear. Then Dorothy fell silent again. The yellow hen was some company, and a bit of comfort, too, but it was dreadfully lonely out on the big ocean, nevertheless. After a time, the hen flew up and perched upon the topmost slat of the coop, which was a little above Dorothy's head when she was sitting upon the bottom, as she had been doing for some moments past. Why, we are not far from land, exclaimed the hen. Where, where is it? cried Dorothy, jumping up in great excitement. Over there, a little way, answered the hen, nodding her head in a certain direction. We seem to be drifting toward it. So that before noon we ought to find ourselves upon dry land again. I shall like that, said Dorothy, with a little sigh, for her feet and legs were still wetted now and then by the sea water that came through the open slats. So shall I, answered her companion. There is nothing in the world so miserable as a wet hen. The land, which they seemed to be rapidly approaching, since it grew more distinct every minute, was quite beautiful as viewed by the little girl in the floating hen coop. Next to the water was a broad beach of white sand and gravel, and farther back were several rocky hills, while beyond these appeared a strip of green trees that marked the edge of a forest. But there were no houses to be seen, nor any sign of people who might inhabit this unknown land. I hope we shall find something to eat, said Dorothy, looking eagerly at the pretty beach toward which they drifted. It's long past breakfast time now. I'm a trifle hungry myself, declared the yellow hen. Why don't you eat the egg? asked the child. You don't need to have your food cooked as I do. Do you take me for a cannibal? cried the hen indignantly. I do not know what I have said or done that leads you to insult me. I beg your pardon, I'm sure, Mrs. Mrs. By the way, may I inquire your name, ma'am? asked the little girl. My name is Bill, said the yellow hen, somewhat gruffly. Bill? Why, that's a boy's name. What difference does that make? You're a lady hen, aren't you? Of course. But when I was first hatched out, no one could tell whether I was going to be a hen or a rooster. So the little boy at the farm where I was born called me Bill. And made a pet of me because I was the only yellow chicken in the whole brood. When I grew up and he found that I didn't crow and fight as all the roosters do, he did not think to change my name, and every creature in the barnyard, as well as the people in the house, knew me as Bill. So Bill I've always been called, and Bill is my name. But it's all wrong, you know, declared Dorothy earnestly, and if you don't mind, I shall call you Bellina. Putting the Ina on the end makes it a girl's name, you see. 
"'Oh, I don't mind it in the least,' returned the yellow hen. "'It doesn't matter at all what you call me, "'so long as I know the name means me.' "'Very well, Bellina. My name is Dorothy Gale. "'Just Dorothy to my friends, and Miss Gale to strangers. "'You may call me Dorothy if you like. "'We're getting very near the shore. "'Do you suppose it is too deep for me to wade the rest of the way?' "'Wait a few minutes longer. "'The sunshine is warm and pleasant, and we are in no hurry.' "'But my feet are all wet and soggy,' said the girl. "'My dress is dry enough, but I won't feel real comfortable till I get my feet dried.' She waited, however, as the hen advised, and before long the big wooden coop grated gently on the sandy beach, and the dangerous voyage was over. It did not take the castaways long to reach the shore, you may be sure. The yellow hen flew to the sands at once, but Dorothy had to climb over the high slats.' Still, for a country girl, that was not much of a feat, and as soon as she was safe ashore, Dorothy drew off her wet shoes and stockings and spread them upon the sun-warmed beach to dry. Then she sat down and watched Bellina, who was pick-pecking away with her sharp bill in the sand and gravel, which she scratched up and turned over with her strong claws. "'What are you doing?' asked Dorothy. "'Getting my breakfast, of course,' murmured the hen, busily pecking away." "'What do you find?' inquired the girl curiously. "'Oh, some fat red ants, and some sand-bugs, and once in a while a tiny crab. "'They are very sweet and nice, I assure you.' "'How dreadful!' exclaimed Dorothy, in a shocked voice. "'What is dreadful?' asked the hen, lifting her head to gaze with one bright eye at her companion. "'Why, eating live things, and horrid bugs, and crawly ants! "'You ought to be shamed of yourself!' "'Goodness me!' returned the hen, in a puzzled tone. "'How queer you are, Dorothy. "'Live things are much fresher and more wholesome than dead ones, "'and you humans eat all sorts of dead creatures.' "'We don't,' said Dorothy. "'You do indeed,' answered Bellina. "'You eat lambs and sheep and cows and pigs and even chickens.' "'But we cook em said Dorothy triumphantly. "'What difference does that make?' "'A good deal,' said the girl, in a graver tone. I can't just explain the difference, but it's there, and anyhow we never eat such dreadful things as bugs. But you eat the chickens that eat the bugs, retorted the yellow hen, with an odd cackle, so you are just as bad as we chickens are. This made Dorothy thoughtful. What Bellina said was true enough, and it almost took away her appetite for breakfast. As for the yellow hen, she continued to peck away at the sand busily, and seemed quite content with her bill of fare. Finally, down near the water's edge, Bellina struck her bill deep into the sand, and then drew back and shivered. Ow! she cried. I struck metal that time, and it nearly broke my beak. It probably was a rock, said Dorothy carelessly. Nonsense! I know a rock from metal, I guess, said the hen. There's a different feel to it. "'But there couldn't be any metal on this wild, deserted seashore,' persisted the girl. "'Where's the place? I'll dig it up and prove to you I'm right.' Bellina showed her the place where she had stubbed her bill, as she expressed it, and Dorothy dug away the sand until she felt something hard. Then, thrusting in her hand, she pulled the thing out and discovered it to be a large-sized golden key, rather old but still bright and of perfect shape.' "'What did I tell you?' cried the hen, with a cackle of triumph. 
Can I tell metal when I bump into it, or is the thing a rock? It's metal, sure enough, answered the child, gazing thoughtfully at the curious thing she had found. I think it is pure gold, and it must have lain hidden in the sand for a long time. How do you suppose it came there, Bellina? And what do you suppose this mysterious key unlocks? I can't say, replied the hen. You ought to know more about locks and keys than I do. Dorothy glanced around. There was no sign of any house in that part of the country, and she reasoned that every key must fit a lock, and every lock must have a purpose. Perhaps the key had been lost by somebody who lived far away, but had wandered on this very shore. Musing on these things, the girl put the key in the pocket of her dress, and then slowly drew on her shoes and stockings, which the sun had fully dried. I believe, Bellina, she said, I'll have a look around and see if I can find some breakfast. End of chapter two. All right, so that wasn't a bad reader, um, but uh, oh. again, just the single voice. Yeah. So I, I think the eyes have it on the uh, the dramatic duo on the other one. Yeah. So, and lucky for you, that's what we'll end on with our next chapter. <laughs> as I diligently color the kiddo art for tonight. Oh, you did already. Wow. I'm, I'm working on it. That's the great. transparency's not uh no criticism, but uh, I'm having I I'm having to do some things uh, manually because the transparency uh, from the download is mm -hmm. uh, a little sketchy. Sometimes it sometimes it doesn't download the way I want it to, but that's okay because we've still got some but, gorgeous um, artwork. We've got 15 minutes, but we do need to understand that Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights will go on one day. Um, I'm still in negotiation with Zelda. She's very busy right now, but I'm going to... We we still will have that show. It might just not be live. so, And it might not be on... Uh, on a radio for humans, but, but never fear, we'll be here every Thursday. But thank you very much for the kiddo drop from Foxfire. Oh, it's a good uh, one. It's that's a good awesome. One. I'm loving it. So yeah, I'm having fun. I'm like a kid again, coloring. So yeah. Uh, although those adult coloring books are pretty popular, you've got a couple of them. So. Adult coloring books are pretty popular, and I do want to message box Foxfire about that. Because I think I I haven't I think I found a place that that might publish, but that might be too much pressure, you know. Um, yeah. Well. But uh, adult coloring books to me are fun because as a child I didn't have the patience to gently color things. I I pushed too hard and I broke my crayons and I. I didn't make it it wasn't pretty it wasn't nice and and i tried to to color gently but i i never did but as an adult i have the patience to do that and just you know chill out and watch the colors come on the paper so it's kind of a nicer thing for me now yeah i uh, i found some coloring books at dad's house so we we're cleaning it out and i saw the trash that my cousins did man they had no talent whatsoever no. Yeah. It's like they were all older than me and they, they sucked. 
Um, well, I remember the girl that was trying to teach me. You just gently, uh, you know, like the, the friend in elementary school that was trying to teach me how to more gently, and I, I tried to do it, but I just, I just didn't have... She was a nice, gentle soul. I was kind of... I I just wasn't there yet. Wasn't there yet. (laughs) So. Well, all right. Well, yeah, we do have 15 minutes, and that's about enough time. Uh, We might run over a little bit. But uh, we shall shall listen to part three of Ozma of Oz uh, right now. Back to our uh, dual dual readers. Chapter 3 of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 3. Letters in the Sand Walking a little way back from the water's edge toward the grove of trees, Dorothy came to a flat stretch of white sand that seemed to have queer signs marked upon its surface, just as one would write upon sand with a stick. "'What does it say?' she asked the yellow hen, who trotted along beside her in a rather dignified fashion. "'How shall I know?' returned the hen. I cannot read. Oh, can't you? Certainly not. I've never been to school, you know. Well, I have, admitted Dorothy. But the letters are big and far apart, and it's hard to spell out the words. But she looked at each letter carefully and finally discovered that these words were written in the sand. Beware the wheelers. That's rather strange declared the hen, when Dorothy had read aloud the words. What do you suppose the wheelers are? Folks that wheel, I guess. They must have wheelbarrows, or baby cabs, or hand-carts, said Dorothy. Perhaps they're automobiles, suggested the yellow hen. There is no need to beware of baby cabs and wheelbarrows, but automobiles are dangerous things. Several of my friends have been run over by them. It can't be automobiles, replied the girl, for this is a new wild country without even trolley cars or telephones. The people here haven't been discovered yet, I'm sure. That is, if there are any people. So I don't believe there can be any automobiles, Bellina. Perhaps not, admitted the yellow hen. Where are you going now? Over to those trees to see if I can find some fruit or nuts, answered Dorothy. She tramped across the sand, skirting the foot of one of the little rocky hills that stood near, and soon reached the edge of the forest. At first she was greatly disappointed, because the nearer trees were all puenta, or cottonwood, or eucalyptus, and bore no fruit or nuts at all. But by and by, when she was almost in despair, the little girl came upon two trees that promised to furnish her with plenty of food. One was quite full of square paper boxes, which grew in clusters on all the limbs, and upon the biggest and ripest boxes the word lunch could be read in neat raised letters. 
this tree seemed to bear all the year around, for there were lunchbox blossoms on some of the branches, and on others tiny little lunchboxes that were as yet quite green and evidently not fit to eat until they had grown bigger. The leaves of this tree were all paper napkins, and it presented a very pleasing appearance to the hungry little girl. But the tree next to the lunchbox tree was even more wonderful, for it bore quantities of tin dinner pails, which were so full and heavy that the stout branches bent underneath their weight. Some were small and dark brown in color. Those larger were of a dull tin color, but the really ripe ones were pails of bright tin that shone and glistened beautifully in the rays of sunshine that touched them. Dorothy was delighted, and even the yellow hen acknowledged that she was surprised. The little girl stood on tiptoe and picked one of the nicest and biggest lunch-boxes, and then she sat down on the ground and eagerly opened it. Inside she found, nicely wrapped in white papers, a ham sandwich, a piece of sponge-cake, a pickle, a slice of new cheese, and an apple. Each thing had a separate stem and so had to be picked off the side of the box, but Dorothy found them all to be delicious, and she ate every bit of luncheon in the box before she had finished. A lunch isn't exactly breakfast, she said to Bellina, who sat beside her curiously watching. But when one is hungry one can eat even supper in the morning and not complain. I hope your lunch box was perfectly ripe, observed the yellow hen in an anxious tone. So much sickness is caused by eating green things. Oh, I'm sure it was ripe, declared Dorothy. All, that is, except the pickle, and a pickle just has to be green, Bellina. But everything tasted perfectly splendid, and I'd rather have it than a church picnic. And now I think I'll pick a dinner pail to have when I get hungry again, and then we'll start out and explore the country and see where we are. Haven't you any idea what country this is? inquired Bellina. None at all. But listen, I'm quite sure it's a fairy country, or such things as lunch-boxes and dinner-pails wouldn't be growing upon trees. Besides, Bellina, being a hen, you wouldn't be able to talk in any civilized country like Kansas, where no fairies live at all. Perhaps we're in the land of Oz, said the hen thoughtfully. No, that can't be, answered the little girl. "'because I've been to the land of Oz, "'and it's all surrounded by a horrid desert "'that no one can cross.' "'Then how did you get away from there again?' "'asked Billina. "'I had a pair of silver shoes "'that carried me through the air, "'but I lost them,' said Dorothy. "'Ah, indeed,' remarked the yellow hen "'in a tone of unbelief. "'Anyhow,' resumed the girl, "'there is no seashore near the land of Oz, "'so this must surely be some other fairy country.' While she was speaking, she selected a bright and pretty dinner-pail that seemed to have a stout handle, and picked it from its branch. Then, accompanied by the yellow hen, she walked out of the shadow of the trees toward the seashore. They were part way across the sands, when Bellina suddenly cried in a voice of terror, "'What's that?' Dorothy turned quickly around and saw coming out of a path that led from between the trees the most peculiar person her eyes had ever beheld. It had the form of a man, except that it walked, or rather rolled, upon all fours, and its legs were the same length as its arms, giving them the appearance of the forelegs of a beast. Yet 
It was no beast that Dorothy had ever discovered, for the person was clothed most gorgeously in embroidered garments of many colors, and wore a straw hat perched jauntily upon the side of its head. But it differed from human beings in this respect, that instead of hands and feet there grew at the end of its arms and legs round wheels, and by means of these wheels it rolled very swiftly over the level ground. Afterward Dorothy found that these odd wheels were of the same hard substance that our fingernails and toenails are composed of, and she also learned that creatures of this strange race were born in this queer fashion. But when our little girl first caught sight of the first individual of a race that was destined to cause her a lot of trouble, she had an idea that the brilliantly clothed personage was on roller skates, which were attached to his hands as well as his feet. "'Screamed the yellow hen, fluttering away in great fright. "'It's a wheeler!' "'A wheeler!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'What can that be?' "'Don't you remember the warning in the sand? "'Beware the wheelers! Run, I tell you! Run!' "'So Dorothy ran, and the wheeler gave a sharp, wild cry "'and came after her in full chase. "'Looking over her shoulder as she ran, "'the girl now saw a great procession of wheelers emerging from the forest, "'dozens and dozens of them all clad in splendid, tight-fitting garments, "'and all rolling swiftly toward her and uttering their wild, strange cries. "'They're sure to catch us!' panted the girl, who was still carrying the heavy dinner-pail she had picked up. "'I can't run much farther, Bellina.' "'Climb up this hill, quick!' said the hen, and Dorothy found she was very near to the heap of loose and jagged rocks they had passed on their way to the forest. The yellow hen was even now fluttering among the rocks, and Dorothy followed as best she could, half climbing and half tumbling up the rough and rugged steep. She was none too soon— for the foremost wheeler reached the hill a moment after her. But while the girl scrambled up the rocks, the creature stopped short with howls of rage and disappointment. Dorothy now heard the yellow hen laughing in her cackling henny way. "'Don't hurry, my dear,' cried Billina. "'They can't follow us among these rocks, so we're safe enough now.' Dorothy stopped at once and sat down upon a broad boulder, for she was all out of breath." The rest of the wheelers had now reached the foot of the hill, but it was evident that their wheels would not roll upon the rough and jagged rocks, and therefore they were helpless to follow Dorothy and the hen to where they had taken refuge. But they circled all around the little hill, so the child and Bellina were fast prisoners, and could not come down without being captured. Then the creatures shook their front wheels at Dorothy in a threatening manner, and it seemed they were able to speak as well as make their dreadful outcries, for several of them shouted, Run! We'll get you in run, time! Run, Never run, fear! Run, and when we run, do get you, run, we'll tear you into little bits! Run! <laughs> Why are you so cruel to me? asked Dorothy. I'm a stranger in your country and have done you no harm. No harm! cried one who seemed to be their leader. Did you not pick our lunch boxes and dinner pails? Have you not a stolen dinner pail still in your hand? I only picked one of each, she answered. I was hungry and I didn't know the trees were yours. "'That is no excuse!' retorted the leader, who was clothed in a most gorgeous suit. "'It is the law here that whoever picks a dinner-pail without our permission must die immediately!' "'Don't you believe him?' said Bellina. "'I'm sure the trees do not belong to these awful creatures. They are fit for any mischief, and it's my opinion they would try to kill us just the same if you hadn't picked a dinner-pail.' "'I think so, too,' agreed Dorothy. "'But what shall we do now?' 
stay where we are, advised the yellow hen. We are safe from the wheelers until we starve to death anyhow, and before that time comes a good many things can happen. End chapter three. Hello. All right, there it was. Yes, Sorry, the I'm still coloring away, so I'm almost done. But oh, uh, cool. yeah, so uh, but yeah, so everybody loves the wheelers. I was afraid of the wheelers. I'm so lame. I'm so uh, scared to get. Well, the wheelers yeah, were scary. They are scary. They they were scary in the movie too. In the yeah. return of, return to Oz, yeah. which obviously drew from this and the prior book. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this is, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Sorry, I didn't have transmission, trans, transition music ready to go, but no, this was exciting. Okay. This was, this was fun to, uh, to check this out. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I'm in on the, the ground floor for this. Um, <laughs> you're on the ground floor. Yeah. Um, that's why Frank Obama liked chickens. He did a book about chickens and raising chickens and, uh, he had a character in his third book about chicken. Yeah, it was and, a chicken. And Belina. The, the, the I love Belina. Yeah, it sounds like the person who did the voice of Belina was a little inspired by the actor who did, who voiced uh, Belina in uh, Return to Oz too. So, and yeah, man, yeah. The, the, they freaked me out with the when the Wheeler voices came in. Yeah, a little scary. They're awful. Yeah. So there are scarier things. I mean. <laughs> We've watched scarier movies. Oh, sure. Now, but, but it's it's they're they're scary. Yeah. But yeah, there it's a delightful world. I love the idea of a dinner pail that grows on a tree. But they don't have a cars. lunch pail <laughs> that grows on a tree. Isn't that so cute? God, yeah, so it is. Cute. It is. God. So no, that's adorable. Yeah, it's an adorable little world. Love that idea. Why can't we we why can't we plant a lunch pail tree on the front lawn, and then people can just pick their lunch in the morning? Wouldn't that um, be nice? It'd make my job a lot easier. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but no, that was exciting, and what a cliffhanger to uh to end on. Yeah. You know the the uh they're under they're under siege. Mm-hmm by the um the wheelers yeah so uh but yeah we hope everybody liked um uh our first show uh again we're going to be talking about different things and um uh you know we're and uh and i uh, on the way out i will have the colored version of the show art uh thankfully uh, provided to us by foxfire 505 kiddo facilitates mm -hmm. dorothy's return to oz yeah. And um I went with uh pretty book accurate colors for Dorothy. So I hope everybody's happy about that. Good. And good. I'm hope oh, I'm excited to see it now. Uh, she's blonde. It... Yeah. And I gave oh, her a pink adorable. dress and blue ribbon and blue sash. Nice. That's exactly and... what she would wear. Yeah. So uh and uh and Belina is yellow. So uh, let me uh, get that going, but I'm sorry, I'm trying to do too many things at once here. So I need to start our um, our official theme on the way out, and I can't think. Mm -hmm. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Gymnopedia number one, Eric Satie. 
Susan, give everybody your final thoughts, and I'll, I'll share the show art. Um, yeah, I love this this music. I'm not supposed to be paying attention to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, we're on the outskirts of Oz, thinking about getting in. Uh, the, another way to get to Oz is is through a. I'm not sure if it was a water spout this time, but before it was a tornado. A, um, but yeah, we're, we're back on the outskirts near the desert, and uh, there's a key that was found. Yes. What will happen with that key? Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I see, I'm fascinated by this to see again the. Ooh, um, look at Ken's thing. Yeah, that's great. Um, yes, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing all the parts that were culled. You know, because uh, obviously from the last one, the Gump was taken from the last book. Belina mm -hmm. and the Wheelers were taken from this book. But the Wheelers, were they in the last book too or no? No, they weren't. Okay. I don't think so. I could be wrong. Somebody will tell me in the chat room. But yeah, I think this is the first appearance of the Wheelers and Belina. Yeah, so very cool. So we'll have at least three more chapters for you next week. Um... We're going to call it a night. Tor Johnson, what do we say? Time for go to bed. Yes. There you go. So, uh, thanks for Good joining night. us. And um, we'll be back next week with some more fun stuff to lull you into a sweet, sweet bedtime.